0: All right, I invite you to grab a Bible and go to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably a, a red one in front of you. We're getting ready to buy some new Bibles when we transition into our new auditorium. So I think they're going to be, go from red to black. There we go. So we will be a black one in front of you. But right now we've got a red one. Amen? Uh, James is toward the end of your New Testament. So if you get to kind of Hebrews, I think it's the next book right over if you get to Revelation of go left if you get to the glossary and you've gone way too far go left all right there's nothing after the glossary if you don't have a bible the passage of scripture is also in your bulletin so i want to make you aware of a couple things that are on the back of your bulletin if i can just real quick first of all uh we are we're doing a neighborhood study over the next three months we started this month kind of june july and part of that neighborhood study is doing a neighborhood survey and so we're going around the, the neighborhoods that surround our, our local church here and just doing a survey and this is not like one of those Uh, kind of, you know, strange survey where we're asking all kinds of spiritual questions. We're really just asking, like, why did you move to J-Town? What do you love about J-Town? What's kind of missing here? What are some things that you feel like are needs in this area? And all we're trying to do with part of that survey is just to kind of identify some needs that these, that our people that surround us are saying so that we can prayerfully think about how God wants us to step into those uh, needs possibly. And so we're going to do that this coming Saturday. So we need about 40 of us to show up this Saturday. We'll show up at 945, We'll do a real quick training and then we'll head out and then we'll come back around noonish and have some pizza together. So that's this coming Saturday. Uh, secondly, we're also doing a church health survey, which is different than neighborhood survey. So the church health survey is more internal, the neighborhood survey is more external. And so we're asking you questions uh, about this church and what do you love, what do you don't love, what do, you, what do we think we're missing, what do you, you know, your, your comments. We've, we've seen a lot of those and they've been really, really helpful. And so Uh, a lot of that survey is going through a thing called the city and if you don't know what the city is that's okay Uh, you don't need to know we're actually going to be transitioning out of the city uh, which we'll talk about that a little bit later don't want to open up a can of beans there yeah people are clapping because if you're on the city it's kind of annoying Uh, but we have primarily done that survey through that and so if you're a member of regular tinder we do want you to fill out that survey and so what we'll be doing this week is we'll have it on the website a link that you can go to as well as this coming sunday next week Uh, We'll have it on the back of your bulletin that you can go to that link and fill out that survey. So we want to do that over the course of this month. Uh, So the course of May, if you're a regular tender or a member, we want both of you guys, um, both groups, uh, to fill out that survey. Just a great way for us to kind of um, hear what you're thinking, what's going on in your heart, and help us better kind of move in the direction that God is wanting us to go. Lastly... Um, and I got it right back here. So we have these baby bottles that we always do between Mother's Day and Father's Day. So this is uh, part of a fundraiser that AOC, which is a organization, a loving choice that we partner with in Shelbyville. Um, and so just encourage you to go and pick up a bottle. I think we've only got five left for service. We're a bunch of hogs and they took them all, gummed them. So we'll, okay, that wasn't funny. So we'll have some more uh, next Sundays for you to pick up. And so we just ask you to take these home over the course of this month put change in here dollar bills in here checks in here and then bring them back on father's day and we'll donate them to AOC just a way for them to continue to serve the people and mothers there uh, in uh, Shelbyville so great 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 thing for us so grab one of those I think we got a few still left over all right so here's here's the deal all right I said this in the first service you know the first few Sundays was fun out here right I'm kind of done today. I'm just going to be like really honest with you. So I'm I'm ready to get back in the auditorium. And I'm just telling you right now, dude, it is like a furnace up here. If you think you're hot, you have no idea what it feels like up here. So I do have a rag, all right? I know it's going to be a little weird, but I will be wiping myself off because in the first service, the sweat was dripping down my chin. And that's just like, it's gross for me, and I'm sure it's gross for you. Amen? So... Every once in a while, we're going to take a sweat break, and I'm going to grab my rag and go to the back, all right? That's what we're doing. It. Uh, we'll make that kind of sound noise, but we will do some sweat breaks out here, all right? So, all right. Love you guys, and uh, yeah, excited. Hopefully, we've we got six down. I think we've got about three or four to go, so we're over halfway through, and we'll be moving back in there. All right, if you got your Bibles, we are in James chapter 1, and and this is what we're working through all throughout summer. So we to be working through the book of James. It's five chapters. I've actually printed chapter one for you. We'll be looking at verses one through 12. Uh, it's in your bulletin. And so here's kind of how we entitled this series. We titled it Faith That Works. And all we're trying to get across here is what we think, what James is trying to get across here, is that faith is active. It's visible. It's tangible. Uh, the, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's a work that God does in us to where it produces fruit. There should be an activeness to our faith. And we see this in the book of James. I think James uses like 59 commands in 108 verses. So you know, there's, a, there's an aim and a thrust that, that James wants to get after here that it works, it's active, it's, it's visible, it's tangible. And I know uh, there's a lot of controversy between James and Paul. And, and, and here's kind of my one minute explanation of that. And maybe we'll dive into this a little bit in chapter two. Uh, Sometimes I feel like we get too smart for our britches or we get our underwear in a wad when we shouldn't get our underwear in a wad about that. All right, so um, yeah, we're gonna have to work on laughter a little bit this morning. But it's, like, here's the deal. There's no contradiction between Paul and James. I would argue they're complementary. You have to have them both. And if Paul was alive today and he read the book of James, he would not be freaking out. He'd be going, amen, amen. And that's the reason why in the letters of Paul, He spends a lot of time on practice in the second half of his letter. So the first half, Paul usually spends on theology. But the second half, he spends on how you're supposed to live this out. And basically what James is doing is he's making a massive assumption because he's writing to Christians that you understand the gospel. The problem with these Christians is they don't know how to live it out. And so he's kind of skipping the theological point because he's making a massive assumption, which is a good assumption, that these guys are Christians. So therefore, I'm going to show you and talk to you about how Do you live this out? What does it look like for faith to work? What does it look like for faith to be active? So yes, it is by faith alone that someone enters into a relationship with God. But listen to me, and this is what James is arguing. That faith does not remain alone. If there's no activeness to this, then you're fooling yourself. And you're not in Christ. And I think that's where... James gets a little harsh toward us and sometimes can punch us in the gut because it's to be active, faith that works. So with that said, let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. James chapter one, verses one through 12. So hear the word of the Lord. So consider it pure joy. I'm sorry, I skipped like verse one. Dude, man, I'm struggling up here. Let's start off in verse one. All right, it's like a big one in my Bible, so I should be able to see it for crying out loud. All right, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I would also add he's the half-brother of Jesus. Sometimes that's a detail that's very good for us to realize. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, "'whenever you face trials of many kinds, "'because you know that the testing of your faith "'develops perseverance, "'and perseverance must finish its work "'so that you may be mature and complete, "'not lacking anything. "'If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, "'who gives generously to all without finding fault, "'and it will be given to him. "'But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt.' Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a a wildflower. The sun rises with a scorching heat, and withers the plant, it blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, so thankful for the the beauty of the day. And yes, we want to be thankful for the heat. We realize that, man, summer is getting here soon. And God, we thank you for moms that are present with us, God. I pray that this sermon would be soothing and encouraging to them, Lord. I pray it would be helpful for them, God. I pray that they would feel and sense your foreness for them, God. They would see that, Lord, you love them. You see dignity and honor and worth in them, God. So may they have a blessed and a beautiful day. And once again, God, we just ask for your help as we unpack this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a book that I read a couple years ago, and I, and I keep kind of coming back to this book. It's a book by a guy named Ronald uh, Rollheiser. It's a book called Sacred Fire. And and what he does kind of in this book is he, he talks about what spiritual formation and growth look like kind of in the middle seasons of your life, so kind of in the seasons of 40 and 50. You know, what is God doing? What is his kind of unique work in those seasons of life? Because it is different in uh, what God's doing in your 20s and your 30s and even when you, what he's doing in your 70s and your 80s. Like, what is he doing in that middle season? So I found myself going back to this book quite often. And one of the chapters that he deals with on suffering He opens it up with this. He was at a conference, and the speaker kind of began his talk like this, and I think it's on the screen there. He says this. We all live in families. Some of us are part of churches. We have colleagues with whom we work with, have a circle of friends, and are part of a larger civic community. In every one of these, there will come a time when we will get hurt, when we will not be honored, When we will be taken for granted and treated unfairly, all of us will get hurt. That is a given. Then this is his challenge. How we handle that hurt will color the rest of our lives and determine what kind of person we're going to be. What I think James does in these first 12 verses is is he answers the question, how? How? How do we handle pain, hurt, difficulty, trials, testing, whatever it is, so that on the other end of that, we're better and not worse. On the other end of that, we're mature, we're growing, there's a weightiness to us, and we're not bitter, angry, and cynical. And so this is how I think James kind of rolls this out here in the first 12 verses. I want to point out kind of two big ideas, all right, and then one applicational truth. So two big ideas that James lays before us is this. Trials are inevitable. Testing, suffering, pain are inevitable. That's the first truth. Second one is is this. Wholeness, and I'll explain what wholeness is here in just a minute because I think that's what he's after in this passage. Wholeness is the only way to maturity. Wholeness is... Is only, I'm sorry, wholeness only comes through trials that lead to maturity, that lead to growth, that lead to completeness. And then the one application, I think, which sounds kind of strange, but I'll get there, is we gotta ask for wisdom. So, truth, trials are inevitable. Wholeness only comes through trials, and we ask for wisdom. So, look what he says here in verse two consider it pure joy, and we'll come back to that because that sounds really strange. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice that James does not say if, possibly. No, he says when. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's inevitable. You are going to suffer. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have testing. So there's one of three kind of categories where all of us landed in this room. So either you are suffering right now. Like some of you are walking in this room and you are going through a real difficult season. That's some of you here. Some of you in this room are coming out of suffering. So you've gone through a real testing time in your life and you're coming out of that season. Or if you don't fit in those two categories, then guess what? Just make sure we're all included here. Then God's preparing you for suffering. He is preparing you for a trial, for hardship, for pain. And now some of you are going, I'm going to push back on that, and in the name of Jesus, I don't receive that, right? Maybe you're saying that, but here's here's the deal. Thank you for laughing a little bit on that. Here's the deal. The name that you're trying not to receive that is the very name that said what? In this world, you will have what? Troubles. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, and we're not exempt from that. And I know later on in there, he says, yeah, but But Jesus says, I have overcome the world, so take heart. But listen to me, that's not undermining the reality that you're going to face troubles in this world. He's saying that in order to help us get through them. So you're either suffering, you're either coming out of a season of suffering, or if life is going great, then God is preparing you to suffer. Look, if you live long enough, you're going to bleed, there's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. I remember one pastor say this, and it's true, not because I know it by experience, but because I have a mom. To be a mother is to suffer. Yes, there's a ton of joy in it. But there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of pain. Trials are inevitable. Difficulties are inevitable are inevitable. You live long enough, you will bleed. And look, what James is trying to do, and what I'm trying to do also, is I don't want us to be surprised. Because you live in a culture that does not prepare you for suffering. It actually de-prepares you. I don't even know if that's a word, but, but you're with me, right? It does not prepare you for suffering in this culture at all. And James and me, I'm wanting to help us as a community to get, like, guys, look. We're not gonna be shocked. We're not gonna be surprised. Because Jesus and James are saying trials are inevitable. Whenever, whenever you face trials, they're coming. You live long enough, you're going to bleed. Second truth. Wholeness or growth, maturity, completeness. I'll get to this in just a second. Only, and I emphasize only, only comes through trials. Look what he says here at verse 2 again. Consider it pure joy. And I don't know about you, when you're reading that, hopefully you're kind of getting the same reaction that I would have, is, or what I did have, is like, what? Right? Really, James? Consider it pure joy when you go through various trials and difficulties and pain and suffering? Are you living in Hallmark World, or have you been watching way too many Disney shows? Like, seriously? Like, my natural inclination is to consider it unfair, right? Right? My natural inclination is to consider it unkind, to consider it horrible, to consider it awful, but to consider it joy? I mean, what reality is James living in? But listen, James is not speaking about how we're to feel toward the trials. He's actually talking about how we're to think, how we're to see them. He says, count it, consider it pure joy. So look, he's not telling us to pretend that they're fun, That's not what he's saying here. He's not telling us to consider trials joyful, because trials are trying, amen? Painful things are painful. Suffering is difficult. Life in and of itself is hard. He's not telling us to be happy, clappy Christians around here. Oh, everything's awesome. I know I'm suffering, but I got my smile on my face. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, right? It's kind of weird to get in that high voice, but that's not... That's not at all what James is talking about. Trials are hard, they're difficult, they're not joyful, but he's wanting us to see differently. He's wanting us to think differently. And so part of what happens when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes in and changes your life to where you begin to see life in a whole new way to where the lens by which you look through life changes. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens in the context of communing with your Father and in the context of a community like this. That over time, God begins to change how you see, and that's what James is after here. I'm wanting you to think differently, see differently. Consider it all joy when you face all kinds of trials and difficulties. Now, why, James? Why Am I to consider it all joy? I mean, I I get that, okay? Change the way I see, but why? Look, he gives us the reason here in verses three and four. Because you know that the testing of your faith and the testing of your faith is equal to trials. So go back to verse two there when he says trials and testing of the faith. He's thinking the same thing here. The testing of your faith, what does it do? It develops. It, 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 It kind of cultivates perseverance. Some of your translations may have endurance or steadfastness. And verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. So follow James's progression of thought. So, So the reason why you're to count it all joy when you're facing all kinds of difficulties is because you know the testing of your faith first produces perseverance. It produces endurance. It produces steadfastness. That's not the end goal, right? I mean, endurance is nice, but that's not the end goal, is it? I mean, if you run a a mini marathon or a marathon, like, yeah, you, you want to endure, but you're not in mile 13 going, I'm enduring, yay! Right? No, you're just, you want to get to the end also. It's not just the endurance you're after, you're wanting something else at the end, even if it's You're the last person to cross the line. There's a reward for that, amen? Like, you finish a marathon or a mini-marathon, like, hallelujah. And so look, it's not just to develop perseverance, but that perseverance must finish its work, and that work, when it's finished, is that you're mature. You're complete. That word there for mature can also be translated perfect. It's actually a word that's used seven times in the book of James, and even though... You know, James can be kind of hard to see what his themes are. You can make an argument that this is one of those themes. And what James means by this idea of perfect, he means wholeness. He means a a completely integrated life versus a fragmented life. So what, what James is after in this book is that James is wanting to kind of close the gap, so to speak, between what we confessionally believe and what we functionally do. You follow me? What the book of James, what James is after here, is he's wanting to make our lives more integrated to where what we confessionally believe is also what we practice, and that gap is shrinking. So look, look. All of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, look at me, look. You have a gap. You have a gap between what you know, what you believe, and how you live. And that gap can be really big. So another translation of that is this. All of us in this room who are Christ followers, and even if you're not a Christ follower, you're a hypocrite. So whenever someone tells me the church is full of hypocrites, I'm going, you're exactly right, and I'm one of them. Because there's a gap always present in my life between what I confessionally believe and then therefore how I live. And what James is wanting to do when he talks about this word perfect is he in essence wants to close that gap. So follow me, follow my thought here. So God is not surprised by the gap. He sees it. He knows it's there. And the good news of the gospel is is that his love, his being for you is not dependent on where that gap is and if it's shrinking or not because you're in Christ and his love is full on for you, Right? Because there was no gap in Jesus. He confessed and he lived it out perfectly. He's the only person that has walked on this planet who was not a hypocrite. So God sees the gap. But here, listen to me, you don't. And so what a loving, heavenly father does is he sins or allows trials, difficulties, hardship, suffering to come in your life so that you can see the gap And by his grace, shrink it. So that you can become complete, perfect, whole, integrated. Another way of saying this is this. God knows how weak your faith is. But you don't. Like all of us, including me guys. All of us overestimate our own spiritual maturity. God's not surprised. He's not surprised at how weak your faith is. And so this loving Father brings trials in your life so you're awakened to it, so that you recognize the gap, so that you see, wow, my faith is not as strong as I initially thought it was. And hopefully by the grace of God, as you persevere and endure, that gap shrinks, you become mature whole, integrated. Love what David says in Psalm 119, and you can possibly say that James is thinking of these few verses as he's talking about this when he says this in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. So before I had a trial, a difficulty, suffering, I went astray, but now, but now, I obey, I listen to you. verse 71, similar theme here. It was, it, was, it was good for me to be afflicted so that why I might learn your decrees. Verse 75 says this, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So trials are inevitable and wholeness Maturity, growth, only comes through trials. Now look, I recognize some of you in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe I'm making a massive assumption, but I'm going to make that massive assumption. I'm assuming that you want to grow. I'm assuming that you want to mature. I'm assuming that you... There's a a desire for a weightiness to your own character. But what James is telling us is this, is that road to maturity is a really difficult road. It is hard. He's not wanting us to be surprised or shocked when they come, but he's wanting us to kind of put on a brand new set of lenses and see that as joy. Because there's an end product that God is after in your own life. Kathy and of I sat down um, a few weeks ago with a couple that's getting ready to plant a church in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so we're just kind of sharing our stories. And man, dude, it is, it is like a furnace up here. That's not what I was sharing stories. That's like commentary right now. So just bear with me. All right, here we go. Um, hopefully this is not grossing you out. If it is, man, be be cool with me. <laughs> so, but we were um, just sharing one of those stories, and not always. Like, I don't know why not always, but we just don't always do this. We don't always share our story about K. Sometimes we do, um, but sometimes we don't. Um, sometimes it can get really awkward, really, really fast when you share your story like that. And so, for some of you that I don't know, um, my wife and I had a little girl back in 2004. Um, Uh, She stayed with us for about five months and died of pneumonia, uh, October 31st, 2004. She'll be, uh, would have been 14 on May 28th this month. Crazy um, how how time is. But here's the thing that, as we talked about that, even as we shared with this couple, we're reminded of how shocked we were of how shocked that God would do this, that he would allow this, that he would send this. And this this is a guy that's, could read James, both my wife and I, and say, yes, amen, trials are inevitable, I'm with you. But we were shocked at how shocked we were of what came into our life. And maybe that kind of exposed in us this false assumption that there's this category of suffering that God would allow, and this was kind of outside that category. Are you following me? Like, we, we all have this. Oh, yeah, I can see this happening. But, but that? That's pretty painful. That's pretty intense. God would probably protect me from that, right? And so what James is doing here, and when I pray for our community, is that, look, it's inevitable. We're not exempt. There's no, you know, suffering's no respecter of person or even religious belief. We're all going to suffer. You live long enough. You're going to bleed. But James wants to put on a very new set of eyes. A new way of seeing that. He wants you to consider it all joy. Not to consider the trial joyful. No. No. But consider it all joy because of what God is doing in the midst of that. Consider it all joy because of the good, the greatness that God is going to do in your life through this difficulty, through this trial, through this suffering. But Here's the thing you got to see. Just because you suffer doesn't mean you're going to mature. You follow me? Just because you go through a difficult season doesn't necessarily mean on the other end of that you're going to mature. You're going to grow. You're going to be whole. You're going to have a weightiness to your personality and your character. No, that's not a guarantee. You can actually go through suffering and on the end of that be really cynical and angry. You can be really mad at God. So, so it's not just a given that you, when you suffer, you're going to come out on the other end mature. And James gives us a hint to that in, in that little phrase there in verse 4, and, in the, and I hate to say this sometimes because I don't want us to ever doubt the Word of God or the, the translation of the Word of God. I don't love how the NIV puts it there. Actually, the ESV puts it a little bit better because it captures the nuance that James is after here when he says this. And let steadfastness have its full effect. And let endurance, perseverance have its full effect. And so look, guys, look, I know this is kind of hard to hear, but listen to me. There's a part that we own to this. Just because we go through suffering doesn't mean we come on the other side better. We can go through suffering and come on the other side bitter. We can go through suffering and come on the other side a hardness of soul. And so the question is, is then, okay, how do I let This steadfastness have its full effect. How do I let this perseverance get me on the other end of suffering to where I am whole, where I am mature, where I am complete, where I am better, where I'm soft at heart and not cynical and angry? And that's where wisdom comes in. And what James is helping us see here is that our greatest need and suffering is not necessarily that God gets us out of it. It's not necessarily that God heals us quickly. And those are usually the first two prayers that we offer, right? So when we're in the, in the, the, the throes of, of a difficulty, the first natural instinctive prayers are, get me out, God, take care of this, and heal the disease. And what James is saying is that, no, 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 you need to ask for wisdom. That's your greatest need and suffering. I mean, look what he says here in verse 5. And it does, it feels a little, James feels a little disconnected. It's like, okay, what are you saying here? He's almost like he's on you know, ADD and he doesn't take his medicine or something. But look at verse 5, what he does here. If any of you lacks wisdom, it's like, what? You just talked about suffering in 2 through 4, and now all of a sudden you're jumping in and talking about wisdom. What's the connection there? But we know that he has in mind this context of suffering because he uses the word lack. At the end of verse four, you won't lack anything. And then he picks that up in verse five, says, hey, if you lack anything, look, wisdom, then you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So look, James is not talking about wisdom in general, James is talking about wisdom that is needed in the midst of suffering. This wisdom that I need so that I can get through this trial, difficulty, suffering, whatever it is, and on the other end, I'm mature. I'm growing in maturity, that the gap is shrinking and that there's a wholeness about me. There's an integrated point to my life. And so I need a wisdom through suffering. So think about this. Guys, think. I know there's, there's, you can give a little pushback on this, but just think with me. Uh, when difficulty comes or when suffering happens here, it's not necessarily the event of itself that makes it really painful. So, so what makes suffering suffering or pain painful or a difficult situation a difficult situation is not necessarily an event of itself. Yes, I'm not trying to downplay that it's painful, but usually the reason why it's difficult is not the event in and of itself itself. It's what we tell ourselves about the event, how we interpret the event that makes something like that so difficult and hard. The wisdom which with we receive the event is what makes something really, really hard. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the event in and of itself but also what makes suffering difficult is what we say to ourselves about it, how we interpret it. And so the best illustration that I can come up with is the story of Joseph. So go home and and read the the latter part of Genesis. It's a great little story there. And Joseph, as most of you know, is the youngest brother of of, Jacob's family, and he's a little punk. Um, he's uh, a whiny butt and he has these little, he's the favorite, has this coat of many colors and he prances around in it. Don't know what that really looks like and just kind of weird. So the brothers hate him, all right? I mean, they absolutely hate this guy and they hate him so much that they, they sold him into slavery. I mean, that's some jacked up stuff right there, right? And you thought your family was messed up. I mean, that's really messed up stuff to where you hate a guy so much that you'd rather him be dead. And it's your brother, so they sold him into slavery. They tell her dad that he was killed by an animal or whatever. And he goes to Egypt, and things don't go well for Joseph. You talk about someone that probably in the midst of all this feels like he's just suffering for absolutely no reason. It's Joseph. So he goes to Egypt. Uh, he gets put in prison. He gets falsely excused. Uh, the, he interprets a dream, and God forgets about it. mean, he spends tons of years in prison. And eventually, eventually, God raises him up to be the second in command and basically saves the nation of Israel because a famine came and he stored up food for them. And so his brothers and Jacob have to come back to Egypt in order to survive so they don't die of this famine. And they don't know who Joseph is, but eventually Joseph reveals himself to it. And it's interesting, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the, kind of the last part of the chapter, this is what Joseph says about his suffering. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant to harm me, hurt me, but God meant it for good. That's wisdom. That's what James is talking about here. One writer says it like this. What determines whether you will face trials, suffering, whatever you want to put in the blank there, with peace and grow in it, or whether you face it with despair and be destroyed by it, is the wisdom with which you bring it in. Our greatest need in suffering is that we would get the wisdom of God so that we can navigate through this and come out on the other side of that whole, better, maturing. And to do that, and I'll do this really, really quickly, I think there's gotta be some things we reject and some wisdom we receive. And there is some wisdom that our culture shares with you captures your imagination with speaks to you about and they're basically giving you an antidote of how to deal with suffering through cultural wisdom and i would argue that's false wisdom and guys look at me look it's not like it's a It's a message that you see, right? It's like like they're coming out. Hey, I'm giving you some wisdom on how to get through suffering. It's just kind of the soup we swim in. And if we don't recognize that and reject it, I'm telling you, you will not come out on the other end of suffering better. You'll come out of the other end of suffering bitter. And I'll just give you two. And and there's probably a way longer list than this, but I'm going to give you two. The first one is this, that we've got to reject. A wisdom that is embedded in our culture is this, is that I deserve a great life. Why? Why is the assumption that God owes me something? Why is it that when we roll in on the planet, that the assumption that is embedded in all of us, including myself, is that God owes me? And when this is kind of raised to the top is when you suffer. When you go through difficulty, this assumption kind of raises to the top and you realize that, wow, I think I deserve a good life. Guys, that is a false assumption. It is false wisdom. Yes, God loves you bunches. But he doesn't owe you anything other than look, and I know this is hard for us to hear, other than judgment. That's it. If we would just take an honest look, and how we treat other people, and how we've treated God, even if you don't even believe in a God, your assumption would not be that God owes me a good life. That's a wisdom that's embedded in our culture and it's a false wisdom. And when suffering comes, if you embrace this and live by it, you will not come out the other side better, you'll come out the other side bitter. The second one is this, is that this life is all you have. And so that's, you know, I, I'm not anti-bucket lists, all right? So I've said a few things about that, all right? But that is seen in making bucket lists. The assumption of making a bucket list is this. This is all I've got. These 70, 80 years, that's it. And so i got to make the most of it. And guys, that's a false wisdom that's embedded in our culture that you hear and you see all the time and it will not help you when you get on the other side of suffering to be a better person. You'll be bitter because suffering will come and take away your health and then you're destroyed. Suffering will come and it will take away opportunity. That's one of the things that this Western culture is so used to, so to speak, is opportunity, but suffering will come and it will take away that opportunity and you will be destroyed because you think all I have are these 70 to 80 years. And it's a lie. It's a wisdom. It's got to be rejected. And so in light of that, then what do we receive, Lot? What is embedded in Scripture? And it's two here, real quick. And I know there's a longer list than this, but the first one is this, and I'm speaking to myself, all right? We've got to embrace that all of us are fools. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that the wise person recognizes his own foolishness and a foolish person thinks he is wise. Adolf Hitler thought he was wise, and he was a great fool. Abraham Lincoln thought he was a fool, but man, his life proved to be very wise. We just got done singing, guys. Whatever my God ordains is right. And so the the posture of receiving this wisdom is just basically this. I don't know. Like, God, I I see you brought this in my life. Yeah, maybe I would have done it a little bit differently, but my posture is this, is that you're right. I'm not. You're not wrong. I'm wrong. You're the one who is wise, not me. I'm, I'm a fool. And so if you... If you see this as the best way for me to get on the other end to where I'm whole, mature, integrated, a weightiness to my character, then I'm going to trust you even though it's really hard for me to see how this is all going to work out. And that assumption is breaking down at wisdom and receiving that I'm the one who's a fool, not God. He's always wise. The second one is this, is that this world is temporary. Suffering is not our lot. It will end. There is an end to your suffering. There is an end to your pain. This life is temporary. I love how James kind of bookends all of this in verse 12 when he says this. Blessed or happy, content, fulfilled. That's what that word means. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Guys, your suffering will end. Your disease will be healed. Your debilitating issue will be taken care of. Your pain and hurt will go away. Your wound will be fully and completely healed there is going to be an end to what we're dealing with in this world. And at the same time, there's a coming reward for those who endure. And I know sometimes when we hear that word, those who endure, it feels like a lot of pressure. But listen to me, if you're in Christ, you will endure because God will see to it that you will endure. No pressure here. God, it's up to God. Ultimately, see that you make it and you will make it because God will see to it that you will make it. And when we read this, sometimes I feel like we don't, it doesn't resonate in our hearts that this reward, a crown of life, it's an ideal of honor and dignity, and I just want to encourage you, just kind of let your imagination go of what that reward could be, and just know it's going to be greater than that, and one of the ways it kind of does for me, and maybe this sounds really weird and strange, and that's okay, I'll embrace it. Uh, I read that little book, Wonder, a few years ago, a couple years ago, went and saw the movie. Anybody know what I'm talking about, Wonder? It's a great little book. If you've never read the book, the movie's great but the book's even better. All right, movie does a good job, but the book's amazing. And at the end of that book, I, this is one of those little phrases that just just stuck with me. I think it's Augie. Right now I'm going blank on his name. Is it Augie? Is that right? Okay, thank you. A little bit of yes in there. But at the end of it, he says this. Everyone deserves what? A standing ovation. At least once in their life. And that's what I see in part. No, it's way more than that. As you enter in the new heavens and the new earth, our Heavenly Father just giving you a standing ovation. Good job. You persevered, you endured, you made it. Suffering is done. Here's your reward. I love how one lady puts it. She says this From heaven, the most miserable life will look like one bad night at an inconvenient hotel. Kind of like Motel 6 where it keeps light on for you. (laughs) We need wisdom to be able to get through the trials, the difficulty, the suffering that's going to come so that we can be better, not bitter. And how do we get it? Very simple. We ask. That's it. We ask God for that wisdom, who is one who is generous, not finding fault, and is willfully and joyfully and happily to give it to you. I know some of us get a little wigged out in that verse where it says, without doubt, you know, don't no, you can't have any doubt. But here, look, look, here's here's what James is trying to say there. He's defining doubt in verse eight when he says it's double-minded. So he's not talking about doubt in general. It's okay. Like We're gonna doubt, we're gonna struggle with that. But what he's saying is this, is that when you come to God in prayer and you ask for wisdom, you're seeking him. You're being single-minded. You're not asking for wisdom from him and thinking, oh, as long as it works, and if I find some other wisdom over here, I'll use that. No, you're going to him single-minded. It's like what Jesus says when he says, you can't serve both God and money. There's a single-minded to your request. You're coming to him and saying, look, your way is the best way because I'm a fool. (laughs) Your way is the wise way because I'm foolish. And so I may not fully understand everything, but I'm single-minded in my request. I need wisdom. And so this is how I want to end today. And I know, man, it's warm, and thanks for persevering because I am dying up here. But here's how I want to end today, guys. And I I recognize with a crowd this big, there's got to be people in here that are suffering. There's got to be people in here that are going through a really difficult trial. There's got to be people here that are going through a, a huge testing in their faith. And i want to offer as a privilege for us to pray for you and not that like you know god will specifically only answer prayers when we do it in this context no god answers and hears prayers even for walking around no matter where we are but there is something beautiful and life-giving that that when you have the body of christ an individual from the body of christ come and put their arms around you and touch you in appropriate physical way i'm saying and pray over you, it does something in your interior world. And we as a body want to come alongside those who are suffering even today and cry out on your behalf that God would give you wisdom. So here's how we want to do this. And I know we're, we're kind of cramped in here. I feel like we're coming to some days where we're just like, oh, it's just... I can't wait till we get back in there. But here's how we're gonna do this. We always have a couple, Greg and Don Wilbur, in the corner there. We'll have some of our pastors and their wives that are along this little edge here. And so if you would just like, look, no pressure here. If you'd like for someone to pray with you over an issue that you're dealing with, please, please, man, count it as a privilege for us to do that this morning. And we'll do it while we're taking communion, all right? And so look, look, if you don't hear anything, all right, hear this, and this is what James is trying to get at He's saying, look, there is no wasted suffering, none. If you're a Christian here and you are suffering, you're going through a difficult, hard trial, look at me. God is doing a beautiful, great work in your life that can only come through this suffering. If you're not a Christian here, look, your suffering's not wasted either because God is trying to get you to the end of yourself so that you'll see your need for Jesus and you'll cry out to him. And even this morning, we can talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian and what God could be possibly doing in your life. So let me pray for us, and I'll give us some instructions on communion.